Welcome, everybody, back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. <laughs> Tracy, how are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? Is everything fine in Dave uh, Woods' life? Yeah, no, never yeah. better. Everything's okay. uh, rolling along just exactly as it should. Uh, we are we are recording this uh, prior to UCLA's uh, competitive football game with or- with Utah uh, tomorrow because uh, this will be posted on Friday, which is when we're recording it live. Um, this uh, mm-hmm. game against Utah tomorrow, um, a pivotal game, Tracy. Uh, Dave, I'd like to talk a little bit about changing the oil in my car, though, for like 10 minutes. If we could. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. No, I, mean, I think that's what that? the people are clamoring for. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm just fooling. Yeah. Um, big game. Obviously. It, it's so funny, though. All The vast majority of the games this year have been, you know, quote, I'm doing air quotes right now, if you can't see, uh, big. Because, I mean, this is a pretty pivotal year for, for Chip Kelly and his program. So. Uh, you can, you know, what if they had won last week against Oregon? Would this game be that critical? Well, it'd still be big, but I mean, it is highly critical right now. UCLA is five and three as as it stands right now on Friday, the day before the game, and a loss sends them to five and four. Um, like I wrote in that little semi-controversial article today. At five and four, help me do the math, Dave. But they would not be able to finish the season at nine and three. That's correct. correct. Okay, correct. We all now we have some arbitrary standards and things here. Nine and three. I think everyone would clearly think that was a successful year. I think even if maybe they lost USC nine and three, you still might think successful year. Eight and eight and seven and five. I'm thinking no. Eight and four, iffy. Eight and four, maybe with a win over USC, possibly could be. And this is all given the context of this is his fourth year and they have not, he has not posted, Chip Kelly we're talking about, has not posted a winning season. And as you have did that brilliant research and also, you know, posted a number of times, he would need nine and three to avoid the stigma of the worst four-year record of any coach to start the start his tenure as a college as UCLA's football coach. Yes, that's that's amazing, really. Yes, yeah, no, he's he's in real dire need of winning out this year, um, and the, the odds are very very good that that's not going to happen. Utah alone is going to be a tough nut to crack. The final three games of the season, I think. Uh, USC always has the potential to actually be USC. Um, And Cal isn't horrible. They're not in the Colorado-Arizona tier. So anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I think I look at this and it's uh, an essential game for me for um, continuing a narrative that Chip Kelly is building something in Westwood. Yeah, Um, He has to win this one. And it's not just uh, because that's maintaining the 9-3 record. If he loses this one, it's the last remaining opportunity for what you could like unadulteredly say is a good win. Um, Yeah. Because this year, right now, it's basically the LSU game as like the good win that UCLA has. And that's turning out to be less good with each passing week. Um, 
LSU is, you know, doing its usual thing where it's up and down. But, like, by any kind of advanced stats metric, that's like a top 60, top 70 team. It's not, it wasn't the signature win that you might have thought it was at the time. At Utah, in this spot, it would be, I mean, it, we're only talking about, I think, 14 games. But it would be uh, the, the maybe one of the best wins of Chip Kelly's tenure uh, at UCLA. Because um, Utah's legitimately good, and um, they're okay on both sides of the ball. Um, and it's on the road. Uh, so this would actually be a pretty solid win, pretty solid feather in the cap. Well, let's go um, with that. What's the best team UCLA's beaten under Chip Kelly? Not highest ranks, not team that we thought going in was good, that we, after the game or weeks after, said we have concluded that was a good team. You're better at this. I'm I'm actually asking this question because you, you can remember and I can't. All right, so 2018, let's just go through them because there's not that many. It was Cal and Arizona, both of whom were bad, and then it was USC, and that was maybe the worst USC team in a long time. Uh, The next year, it was the Washington State crazy win. That was a decent Washington State team. Maybe ASU that year in 2019, they beat them 42-32. That was a pretty good ASU team. Um, And then last year, uh, maybe ASU again, but frankly, that was a depleted ASU team. I think it might be ASU 2019, and we're talking about. Uh, let me just get their record really quick from that year because I think we're talking about a seven and five ASU team. Yeah, they were yeah. seven and so, five that year. So you could make the case that this is the best, and that game was at ASU. So you right, correct? No, that game was that game was at the Rose Bowl. Okay, the next one was at ASU. That's right. The next yeah. win. Um, so, but you could argue, arguably make the case that this would be UCLA's biggest win of Chip Kelly of the Chip Kelly era, specifically yeah, it, also because it's on the road against a good team. Yeah, and it's not like Utah's some elite team. This is just, I think it, it really makes it obvious how weak the wins have been for Chip Kelly. Like, most of the time they're beaten up on lesser teams. Like, they're beaten up on Arizona, they're beaten up on Colorado, they're beaten up on Cal. They have um, not beaten, they have not beaten a, a team with a winning record yet this year. Yeah, so... This is, I think, a really critical game from like a narrative standpoint. It's a really critical game just to finish the year with a respectable record. Um, there's just a lot, I think, going into this um, for UCLA. And um, I'm not optimistic, Tracy. I've, I've, I've done my preview. It is Well, by this time, you've read it, of course, people. Uh, <laughs> but I've done my preview, and... Um, Utah's offense is pretty damn good and pretty damn balanced, and it's kind of getting hidden because Charlie Brewer was so bad to start the year. But Cameron Rising's been really good. He's a dual threat. He has the ability to run the ball. Uh, their offensive line has not allowed many sacks until uh, since they switched from Brewer to Rising. Uh, they can run the damn ball. Um, they've got some tight ends. They've got three tight ends that are going to be so hard for UCLA safeties to cover. It's going to be really hard for this defense to slow down Utah. And then it's a question of whether UCLA's offense is going to be consistent enough with either a somewhat hurt Thompson Robinson or with a new starter, Ethan Garbers, to keep up with that. That's a lot of ifs. Um, yes. Man, that, that I, I, I think everyone has to agree. For UCLA to win this game, it would have to perform better than what would be expected right now at this moment. Yes. I, I think you can say there are people out there who have some hope and faith, and that's good on you. I mean, that's great. 
but objectively it would have to perform above the level that we would expect so far from what we've seen of this team. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, like what you said, what we do here, Dave, you and I, is try to put ourselves in the future. We do a little time travel and say, how is this going to feel? And we try things on. Like what you just said. Okay, so UCLA beats Colorado. They beat a down USC team and they beat a mediocre at best Cal team. Yeah, so what? I mean, there's nothing coming away from that finish, even with wins, where you're going, hey, that, that was some. That's all expected. There's, there's nothing that would is like a great win among those three. I mean, SC, yeah, to a degree, because it's still SC, but the luster's off that a bit. So uh, so much is riding just like if we're projecting ourselves a few weeks down the line, the UCLA program, the UCLA football fan community needs this win against Utah because if not, I don't – Everyone's just going to start thinking about basketball. They already haven't. Um, and then if you really just think about literally the numbers, five and four. Wow, five and four. And then contemplating what might happen for those last three games um, at five and four. If the wheels come off, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, if he's healthy. Wow, this is this is a critical game uh, just pivotal pivotal game and what happens to chip kelly uh, and his fate could a great deal could be decided you know we always say it's not decided by one game and it's not because there have been a lot of games played up until this moment but man so much could pivot on on the outcome of this game yeah absolutely um it just it feels that way and um it's it's going to be a really tough spot. I mean, if you talk about the particulars of the game, we still don't know. I mean, it looks like Dor Dorian Thompson-Robinson was at least giving it a heavier go um, towards the last practice we saw open on Wednesday. Um, but it's still uncertain whether he's going to be whether he's going to be playing, whether he's going to be starting, whether he's going to be 100%. I mean, he's almost certainly not 100%, but um, how effective he will be if he plays. And then if he doesn't, um, Ethan Garber's against... Uh, it's so Utah's defense is basically a pretty good secondary, a really good pass rush and weak run defense, which I think we've seen a lot this year in the league. It's not um, too different from a few other defenses we've seen, but UCLA it's, they're going to have to run the ball if it's Ethan Garbers or if it's a, a somewhat, you know, uh, depleted Thompson Robinson. So what um, do you do if you're Utah? You stack the box. You I mean, you're, you're going to stack the box. And is UCLA going to finally just run out of a spread formation? Or are they going to continue to try to pound it with tight ends? I'm going to go um, with B. I'm gonna go yeah. With and, and so it's just um, they're going to put themselves in, in tough spots. And then it's going to be incumbent upon either a Thompson Robinson with a hurt hand or Ethan Garbers and his first start as a college player to make throws against a pretty good secondary. Um, and that's just... That's hard. That's hard to figure. Um, and given how abused the UCLA offensive line was last week um, against Oregon's pass rush, uh, Utah's is pretty damn good, too. Um, they don't have a player like Kayvon Thibodeau, but they've got a bunch of guys who get after quarterbacks. Um, it's, uh, it's, not a, it's not a comforting thought to think about them having to drop back 
30 times um, against Utah and try to, you know, win the game with the, with the, with the pass. Um, that's the, the recipe has to be try to build a lead in the first half with the run game with Devin Lloyd out. Um, see if you can really grind them, um, make that defense tired and then just stay ahead of them. Um, but I think an early lead is absolutely essential because if this turns into a throwing contest where UCLA has to step back and throw the ball 30 or 35 times, um, it's going to be devastating. Yes. Uh, and, and like, like I said, it, it's going to have to be beyond something's going to have to happen beyond expectation. As of right now, from what I've heard, um, it, it's either one or two things to Dorian Thompson Robinson. He's not playing or he's going to play not a hundred percent. So if he actually has a great game, that would be beyond what everyone around the program is expecting. And, you know, we could have just miraculous healing powers and, and be fine by, you know, Saturday night. But that's what it's going to take. Um, uh, dang. I mean, we just, I, I feel like we're kind of sitting, like facing this huge wall, you know, like that there's so much to overcome. And not that it can't happen. You always got to qualify it, right, Dave? But I mean, there's a lot to overcome. Um and then what I wrote yesterday in that piece about how the Chip Kelly era could play out, um, that's coming from, you know, a lot of a, a combination of some sources, uh, my feel for the whole thing in having experience being in this situation many times, um, and just... Uh, a, a feel for a lot of different, like well, from what I've heard uh, about Chip Kelly himself, um, also Martin Jarman, the athletic director. It's not a scenario that actually is absolutely going to happen. I think hopefully I qualified that enough in that piece, but it's something that is a very real possibility. Um, there are too many advantages for both sides, and I could see both finding it advantageous to do it that way. Um, and what I'm describing is that uh, no matter what the result is on the season, Chip Kelly says he's leaving UCLA. Um, and that's the way uh, the fact that he is no longer with the program has been couched. Um, it helps Chip Kelly, it helps UCLA. Uh, and then obviously UCLA is looking for a new coach. Again, I have to keep qualifying. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I'm saying it's it's definitely a possibility. And there are some things that have happened, specifically losing to Oregon. And if they lose to um, Utah, that it could make it even a little bit more likely. So it's something that UCLA fans should be thinking about. I mean, there are some fans out there that just don't even want to consider it, you know, and I understand that. I mean, I know sometimes it's hard, but this is, I'm not just throwing this out based on nothing. This is coming from a lot of people who know things and are very, very smart. Um, so yeah, if you haven't read the piece, you, you probably should just so you get a full perspective on kind of where the program is, uh, which makes it a little like down shifting, I guess you would call it that UCLA got a commitment from a four star quarterback yesterday in Justin Martin, a great fit for the program overall, um, strong arm, 
probably decently athletic, not like Dorian Thompson Robinson in any way. Um, really smart. Or, or like, or like the great, or like the great athlete Ethan Garbers, as Chip Kelly um, uh, described him yesterday. Yes, Ethan Garbers is a good athlete. I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, somehow, no, but and he's yeah. he's right on par with Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's what Chip said to me, and to all of us. To said to you, <laughs> wait, are you having private conversations with Chip and you're not telling us? No, no, I'm just oh. saying, you know, Ben Bolch asked him, you know, are you going to change the game plan at all yeah. For, yeah. Uh, for, for Ethan Garbers? And he said no. And the reason is because the Garbers are great athletes. They can run I, you, just, you know like, what? just like Dorian. But he doesn't change. He doesn't change the game plan. Dorian's like was hurt, you know, a couple of games ago with the shoulder. He's running him. He's doing a run option. I mean... A zone, a zone I, read. I, mean, I there's agree a lot of he's not he going to change. I agree he's not going to change yeah. the game plan. However, yeah. the justification for such chip is not that Ethan Garbers is the same level of athlete as Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's not the justification. The justification Correct. is that you run your offense, and your yeah. offense is what you run. Um, That's the distinction. It out there. You're right. Anyway, You're correct. Justin Martin. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of people will then talk about, you know, if there's so much uncertainty around Chip Kelly, why would this kid commit to UCLA? I mean, that's probably what a lot. I I think what I tried to say in that piece that there's a lot of there's a lot of group group groups of people that have different amounts or degrees of information that they get. Like I said, the national media has a different, completely different perspective on the UCLA football program. UCLA basketball program, than bro readers. <laughs> Everyone has a different perspective. Um, Justin Martin uh, and and most of the recruits, uh, 2022, are fully confident that Chip Kelly's returning and that very, like I said, that very well could be the case. When I, we've been down this road so much, it's so funny that I, I, I have to feel uh, compelled to you know explain this coaches no matter what keep recruiting asu's coaches are recruiting i mean if that doesn't put it all in perspective i don't know what does arizona state's coaches are recruiting there right now I, I can't think of a program or a coaching staff that has a less likely chance of being uh, i mean critical coaches on that staff have a less likely chance of being there next year and they're recruiting. They're going out to high school games. So you keep recruiting. It's part of your job. There have been lame duck coaches who go out and recruit. Uh, that's what you do. Um, you know, when you fire a coach, like in December, and the staff is still there, and they haven't hired the new coach, those coaches who aren't going to be on that staff keep recruiting. Everyone keeps recruiting. That's the way it is. So... Just keep that perspective that it's it's almost two independent entities about what happens with the program and what the feeling is around the program about the fate of the coach and recruiting. Um, so just keep that all in mind. You want to talk about basketball? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so uh, wrapping up football. Okay. Um, Thank you. I, I, so that's the scenario uh, Tracy's laying out with the uh, kind of like eight and four finish. Uh, if they lose to Utah and it's pretty bad and it's like Ethan Garber's out there and he's struggling and then Dorian Thompson Robinson's got a worse hand injury than we think, 
the only game on the slate that's not losable is Colorado. Uh, Colorado, um, if if UCLA somehow lost to Colorado, you might as well just fold the program. Um, that, uh, if you haven't had a chance, uh, don't take it. But if, um, if you want to talk to somebody who's watched it, that Colorado offense is an abomination. Every criticism you may have had about Carl Durrell's offenses at UCLA, um, it's it's like every single one of them was taken to their logical extremity and then applied to 2021, and that's what you see with Colorado. It's it's the worst thing. Um, if they hadn't just blown out Arizona, they would be the clear worst team in the Pac-12. And frankly, Arizona, they had a bad game against Colorado, and they had a lot of things go wrong. Arizona, to my eye, is a better team than Colorado because that Colorado offense is the worst thing in the world. Um, so I guess my point is they're not going to lose that game, but they could absolutely, absolutely lose Utah, USC and Cal and finish six and six. And then a lot of this stuff becomes, well, Chip Kelly's getting fired. Um, so anyway, my, my, my two cents on that whole thing. Um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit more though about, um, Cameron rising, the Utah quarterback. Um, he's from a local high school where I live, Newbury Park. So I saw him a lot in, in high school. Um, he was rated pretty highly. I was never impressed with him. Uh, decent size, but had kind of a noodle arm. Couldn't throw it very far. Uh, didn't have good mechanics throwing the ball. Didn't, uh, you would call him a running quarterback to a degree, but didn't have a body that looked athletic like he could really run. Um, I was never that high on him. Right, I uh, just didn't didn't really see um, him as, as a. I mean, he was a four star quarterback coming out of high school. I really didn't see that he would be successful on the next level. He got over recruited. Um, UCLA recruited him, but he ended up going to Texas. He left there fairly quickly, and I thought, okay, I, you know, I, I never want to wish bad on a kid, especially a local kid. And I heard he's a nice kid. But I thought, okay, I can see that that's happening. What he's done at Utah, <laughs> I have to admit, I, I mean, I've been watching Utah and I've just been, been completely wowed by Cameron Rising. If, if you watch him throw the ball, he throws the ball from his ear. Uh, you think he can't throw the ball really accurately further than 30 yards. He's very accurate short. Some of the longer balls kind of don't get there. Some kind of he can like rear back and really heave it, but he doesn't have that kind of rifle arm that you would think. Um, he can run the ball. He, 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 but when he starts to take off, you just say, oh gosh, no. And then he'll make a couple of jukes. He'll like sidestep some guy and he'll gain 14 yards. You go, damn. He's very smart. He's making great decisions. He's completely overperforming given what I saw of him as a prospect and I'm completely enjoying. Um, he's one of those guys that I think the intangibles, um, I mean, his heart, how smart he is, his toughness probably wasn't as, it, it wasn't a measurable when it comes to him as a prospect. And it's, and to me, it's fun to watch because I don't know if you watch him, you just go, "Oh gosh, no, that was that throw." But then he just gets it done. So, you've watched some Utah this year yourself, correct? Yeah, I watched a lot of Utah. Um, 
the 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 change in that offense uh, basically since their bye week because so uh, Charlie Brewer sucked real bad. He sucked hard. He yeah. sucked eggs. He was he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the Pac-12 in his two starts. Uh, he literally, I think, quit football um, after the first couple of games of the season. And then it was Cameron Rising's job. Cameron Rising won the job at Utah last year and then got hurt in the first game. Um, so he's not – I think they, they've been high on him for a year now. Um, but it was just getting him back from injury. Um, since then – so the first couple of games where he was just kind of thrust into duty, it was uh, a lot of check down, a lot of check down Charlie, just um, trying to move the sticks, not really doing anything. Since the bye week, though, they've really he's really developed a connection with those tight ends. Um, he's hitting them uh, really well over the middle, uh, intermediate, um, and he's really started to run the ball effectively. Um, and I think that has opened up things for that entire offense, the run game included. Um, but it's a different beast than it was at the beginning of the year. The offense was going to be good this year. Uh, but it's hit another level in the last few weeks, um, and I think it kind of gets lost in the you know full season long stats. But the offense has been pretty damned elite in the last few weeks, which is why I think this is going to be such a tough matchup for the UCLA defense. Um, and a lot of it is because of him. Yeah, he's playing really well. Um, yeah. He's making great decisions. Uh, I agree with you on his arm strength. He's not a, an elite thrower by any means, but for what they need him to do, which is – Essentially, he's got to hit 15 to 20 yarders over the middle to his, you know, big galoofing tight ends. Um, he can do that. He can do that all day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it's a it's going to be a really, um, really tough matchup for UCLA's defense because it their their passing attack really attacks safeties um, because of those tight ends. Um, their run game with the addition of rising who can take some stuff off the edge um they're not going to be able to just purely load up you know between the a gaps and you know think they can shut down this rushing attack um you know utah can beat you to the edge a little bit and that's gonna you know potentially expose guys like bo calvert who haven't been super disciplined on the edge this year um so i i think it's a really tough matchup um defensively for ucla oh you know over the years um, there have been players uh, that we just – well, it's two sides of this equation. Players that UCLA uh, gave a lot of playing time to and we scratched our heads. And then players UCLA didn't give a lot of playing time to. We, I mean, how many guys did we just go, what, did, what are they seeing there? Why is that guy playing so much? Or, and or, why isn't that guy playing more? We, we'll call the first one the Damian Holmes Award. Oh, my gosh, Damian Holmes. Oh, uh, dang. I, I mean, I didn't know what – I didn't know what and, – and this is the thing, too. Uh, this is what's so perturbing about this. You know coaches on a staff are getting if – if any of you don't know, they're getting video, like heaps of video to watch. All these different cut-ups of every single play of every single one of their players by position. They can analyze. They've got stats. They've got so how they grade out, even though a lot of the grading is subjective. But they do. It's their, They get to watch it. Damian Holmes, there was no way you could consistently watch that every week and think that he was playing well. But somehow... The UCLA staff at the time did. I'm always amazed because you you have to 
fans think college coaches really know what they're doing, and most of the time they do. But they're human, and I've said this before, their, their job isn't to be objective. They're mostly, they're mostly former players that are rah-rah guys. Let's do this. We can do this. Rah, rah, rah. And that doesn't necessarily lend itself to objectivity. <laughs> so they get, they get their favorites. They get a, a lot of their own personal you know, opinion comes into play. And they can make huge personnel mistakes. Um, I, I, they're, I, I have to attribute the Carl Jones, Bo Calvert to something along those lines. And, and honestly, we haven't seen it that much with Chip Kelly's staff. We used to see it quite a bit with former staffs. I mean, there were, it was happening all the time with the number of players. It doesn't happen that much with Chip Kelly's staff. I mean, give them a little credit. They seem to scout their own players well. But this one's glaring, and I know it's one of your things. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, it's insane to watch Carl Jones go in there and make, like, NFL plays. Like, reacting to a play from one edge and running down the running back before he even crosses the line of scrimmage on the other side of the play. Like, no, that's 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 freak behavior. And instead, and like, I'm not even knocking Bo Calvert, really, because I think he's played better this year than he has in the past. But the difference between those two from just a... a uh, power five athleticism standpoint from like a, an ability to make plays standpoint um, is so stark. And I would say it, it would be one thing if they were about split and snaps evenly, but they're not. It's like three uh, to one, especially lately. They yeah, were, they it, were it, a little more even to start that start the season. Last couple of games, Carl Jones isn't playing much. No, he's not playing really at all. And it's just, I, I, I don't really get it because Bo Calvert's never been productive. Um, so as a full-time starter last year in six games, he had 29 tackles as essentially their middle linebacker. This year he has 28, playing in seven games. Um, it's just, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't know what they're seeing there because you could make the argument when he was playing middle linebacker that he's like the captain of the defense, yada, yada, yada. He's calling things, whatever. Um, but he's just not producing. Um, and that's the part that's just really hard to fathom, whereas it feels like, and maybe, you know, there's a lot of plays we're not seeing, uh, I guess, maybe, uh, if you want to really, you know, uh, uh, give him the benefit of the doubt. But Carl Jones, it feels like every time he's in there, he's making plays. Um, and I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm continuously flummoxed by this entire thing. Yeah. Flummoxed is a, is a good, perhaps, I mean, you've seen the interviews with Bo Coward, he seems like a genuinely great, high character kid um, who you could see as a leader that he would inspire his teammates. And I, and I think that that might have a lot to do with it. And there's a lot to be said for that. Absolutely. But there's also a lot to be said for just literally being better on the field. So, yeah, I, we probably should just start stop beating this drum because but i mean it does have to be mentioned every once in a while yeah i um, mean look I, I i i don't love like um talking about like individual players all the time but also it's part of what we do um you know and most that's most of the time why i belabor all the coaching crap because it's easier and better and more ethically sound to make to talk shit about coaches really um with with players it's you know it's icky um, because they're 
unpaid athletes, um, most of whom are not going to be playing professional football. So anyway. Okay, so we're done? Uh, we're done with that oh, no, piece. We got let's, basketball. Let's talk basketball. Yeah, no, we're done with that piece, Tracy. Now we get to talk about the fun stuff. Um, the basketball team's like, what are we, 10 days away? Something like that? 11, Something like 12? that. Well, yeah, I mean, whatever. Do you are do we consider the fake the thing ex- that's not happening tomorrow um, a real thing or the exhibition? No. Yeah, that's a real thing. Okay. Um, no exhibitions. Exhibitions, I I don't consider real. Um, they're they're fake. Uh, they don't matter. Um, I'm still gonna watch it, but they don't matter. That's a that's um, a week. That's a week from today. Right. Um, and, and also, I have to gear everything around. When am I gonna write the like? 3,500 word preview that nobody reads. Like, when am I going to write every, that? Dave, everyone reads it. It's a beautiful piece of literature. Yeah, but like, do they really read it or do they just skip to the second story where it's all about the season prediction? No, no, no. I think yeah, yeah, for one yeah. thing, for one thing, we don't have that. We don't have the season prediction story up while that first part is up. So they That's have a good to point. Yeah, yeah. So they're just like, they're reading it. Actually, here's what they do. They read the opening paragraph, and they're like, oh, okay, this is another long, turgid piece of prose. And then they scroll down to the bottom to see if the prediction is in there because they've forgotten. They forgot how it's structured. Yeah. And then they see, oh, part two coming tomorrow. And then they're like, okay, click off. But we still get the view from that, which is great. Yeah. You know, we want those ad yeah. dollars. We want those tasty, tasty ad bucks. Uh, but they're not, they're not really reading that. When you guys are doing that, if you could just stay on the page so the session goes longer, just keep all your windows of bro open like 24 hours that'd be great yeah please do um so anyway uh the basketball team uh we're doing our oh we should mention this we're doing our 12 most important bruins countdown right now uh tracy you and i have you you and i have been in alignment which i didn't even realize until i started publishing these stories mister so today today's story or yesterday's story jesus this is so hard uh yesterday's story is going to get it Mm -hmm. a little bit I, I go a little. I go a little crazy with number nine. So you, you did guys should, not. I did. I went a little crazy with it. I ranked Jalen Clark the seventh most important Bruin. I'm that's a full just crazy talk. Nuts. Absolutely bonkers. Um, so we're no longer in lockstep. Let's think about. Let's talk about that. Okay. okay? I want. I, I want you to give an explanation. Sure. Should we just give up? Like we might as well just give it up. Like our our own individual. Well, right? what I realized is that there is absolutely no surprise to any of this because we're doing all of the players, and uh, it's pretty obvious. Like, like yeah, okay, who's fourth and who's fifth? But it's pretty obvious that the starters or mostly starters will be in the top five, and mostly the bench guys will be in the next five, and then the guys who won't get many minutes are in the bottom two. Um. But yeah, okay, so my rationale, uh, I would say it varied based off what was going on, but I, I tried to go by essential. Like, who's the most essential to this team, you know, reaching its potential? That was my kind of rationale. Sure. So for Jalen Clark, why I went with him at seven is because I think his versatility could end up being essential. Um, I think he gives them the kind of... Uh, defensive ability between uh, basically being able to guard everyone from twos to fives effectively um, that look, Miles Johnson gives him a rim protector, but I don't know if he's giving him that level of positional defense um, for post players that Jalen Clark can give. Um, I think he can be brought in and be a bandaid in so many different ways from like an energy standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, from a rebounding standpoint 
um, that he gets above guys like David Singleton. And then I did something very controversial. I know for very I, controversial. I know. I know what's going to happen. He's ahead of Peyton Watson. Peyton Watson, number nine, baby. Number nine. I we have to revisit this at the end of the season. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And like, just I mean, we're not. Go- I'm not going too outlandish. You were at seven for Peyton Watson. But basically, yeah. we reversed. What we did was you had Jalen Clark 9, and I had Peyton Watson uh, 7. And you had Peyton Watson 7, and I had Peyton Watson 9. Now, why Peyton Watson has a ce- you know a certain ceiling to me is because I, I personally think he's only going to be able to play 22 minutes a game. Unless, right. you know, he's freaking Kobe Bryant, and he, you've got to put him out there, you know, for 30. Uh, so that's going to limit where he is on this list. Um there were guys, you know, there are, for me, there are just five, six guys ahead of him that are, are just more critical, mostly because of it, those limited minutes. Um, I had David Singleton ahead of Jalen Clark because um, with the way this, the personnel works out offensively, I think David Singleton is going to be, uh, you know, not you know, one of the top keys of the season, but he's going to be critical to the offense in that there are so many guys other teams are going to be compensating for double teaming, you know, first Johnny Juzang, Jaime Aquez, and then they're going to be coming after Tiger Campbell, Cody Riley trying to shut him down in the, in the paint. And they're going to forget about that guy. They're going to forget. And he's just going to be sitting out there waving for the ball and they're going to kick it out to him. And he's going to shoot his 49% from three. Um, I think that's going to be so key to this season. Uh, now, can Jalen Clark impact on a lot of different ways? Well, we saw last year he friggin' defended the five <laughs> right. for a couple of games. But I still think his offense is going to be, and this is what I've heard, his offense is still going to be very raw. I think even though he'll be able to defend a lot of different positions, I think he's still going to be an offensive liability. And he won't be able to just, like with Paint Watson, he's going to be limited in his amount of playing time, given that he's going to be a little bit of an offensive liability. Um, it, one thing about Jane Clark to think about, too, and when you're writing your preview, I've seen him in person, and you've seen the pictures of him. He looks like a linebacker now. He's gotten big. And we'll see if he has... That kind of fluid athleticism that we saw a lot from him last year. I mean, we've seen guys in football get kind of bulky and lose that fluidity. Um, It'll be very interesting to see where he is. Um, You're seeing kind of a big jump, and I'm not necessarily seeing a jump with him. Even without a jump, what I will say is this. He is the best rebounder on the team, even with Miles Johnson. That would be interesting to see with his time. He was last year. Okay. Miles Johnson is going to threaten that quite considerably this year. So, yeah. It'll be interesting. Um, It'll be interesting. But then Um, I bet we're in lockstep. Um, I've got – we're pretty much in lockstep. So, um, I've got David Singleton between the two. I've just flipped the order between Clark and Watson. Yeah. Um, And then you have Cody Riley above Miles Johnson. I have Miles Johnson above Cody Riley. But our top three is exactly the same. Should we give it away or should we not? Let's just let it go. I don't know. Let's just let it go. We'll we'll have more time to talk about it. It's not what you all would think. But okay. It's not. 
But I will say we have many more voters than we usually do. We have nine voters this year. We did? Um, wow. Yeah. So, because uh, I added Hicks, Rob's in there, Mockover, um, Brandon Hoofman. First time voter in any kind of these lists. Yeah, um, first he's time. Taken the, hey, hey, taken... hey, since he's not listening to this podcast, who did Hicks vote for? I want to know. Uh, so Hicks, um, he sent an explanation too, but he has the same top three as you and me. Um, he has, he did. Okay. yes, he has, he has Miles Johnson number four. Okay. Um, he, and then he's he's got, a defensive guy, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, his bottom three is Jake Kaiman, 10, Mac Etienne, 11, Ken Nawuba, 12. Uh, then it goes number nine, David Singleton, number eight, Jalen Clark, number seven, Cody Riley, Number six, Peyton Watson. And then Jules Bernard rounding out the top five. Yeah. See, it's funny, too. There's different ways to do this. Um, you can say, like, from your standpoint or from just watching the game when they're on the court, who might have the biggest impact and who might be the most critical and important. But you also have to say, where is the playing time? Who's going to get the playing time? Um, they're going to be yeah. – Jules, Jules Bernard is going to play 28 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, because he'll be the backup point. He's going to be, yeah, he's going to have an impact on this game. So uh, that's why I had Jules Bernard ahead of Payne Watson. Um, A lot of it, he's going to play more minutes. Um, So he's going to impact quite a bit more. Um, So I think think some of what I was doing with Payne Watson was also the, um, like, not contrarianism, but basically, like, uh, shiny object versus uh, fourth-year player. Fourth-year player who's been in the system for a while. Yeah, yeah going to go with the fourth-year player. Well, also um, backup point guard. Yeah, yeah, totally. But like it was, uh, Jules Bernard was way ahead of Peyton Watson for me. But that's why I'm also going David Singleton above Peyton Watson because I know without a doubt what David Singleton's role is going to be, and I know it's defined. Um, he's going to come in. He's going to be a shooter, and it's going to be essential. Hey, uh, he started to make a few. He started to put the ball on the floor and make a little, a couple of floaters there. Exactly. Last year. No, I can. He, and expand I, his game. And his defense, um, uh, even with maybe a, a slight lack of athleticism, it got much better towards the end of the year to the point where he was actually a plus defender. Uh, Peyton Watson, I mean, he's a freshman. He could come in and be great, or he could come in and, you know, have some real growing pains. It's just hard to know. Yeah. Uh, um, but very exciting just about this team. It's, it's, so, it's so stunning to listen to to uh, Mick Cronin's interviews, I think, especially when they're juxtaposed, if you know what I mean. Um, you mean he, compared uh, to uh, Chip's I just said juxt- I just said juxtaposed. Uh, he can... Mick has this uncanny knack of being able to speak, coach speak, but it sounds fresh and interesting. <laughs> it's, it's really something. Um, it's that weird Cincinnati accent. That's all it nah, is. Yeah, I don't think it's that. Um, it's just he can say uh, he says very interesting things that sound like it's something that he had stored up, ready to use, but we haven't. He hasn't circulated them yet. We haven't recirculated. We haven't heard cliches from like two years ago yet. They're all fresh. They just sound ready-made. I don't know if he just has a bunch of writers who give him all these, or he spends his time. I, I, I don't know. It's He's a pretty phenomenal interview. Um, so there's 
there's that. It makes it just a pleasure actually to cover the team, and it makes you look forward to the season because you want you know his just the continuing take on on this team. Uh, but um, uh, my I'm looking forward to watching Tiger Camp. Um, we I had heard it, and I wrote that one piece, and then uh, Coach Cronin actually talked about how he's seen Tiger Campbell improve in practice. Um, that's going to be really interesting. If he can just shoot a little bit better from three, but not only that, just, I mean, he does not turn over the ball, but just even be more of a threat offensively. And then Tiger Campbell's a good on-ball defender. He can stay in front of the ball. The problem is while he's in front of the ball, the guy who's 6'3 can then just still shoot over him, even though he can't get by Tiger Campbell. So to see how he's going to improve his defense given his limitations, but also his his leadership of the team. I think that's going to be uh, very interesting to watch this season. Um, and then, you know, reminding everyone last week that he's got three years left in the program, which was kind of fun. That's insane. <laughs> it truly is insane. I, 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 keep, I keep noting this in all of my, like, previews for the football stuff, and I, I don't know if it's just, like, crazy for me but like going through these guys who are like seventh year seniors now and it's just like what the hell did we do like these guys like okay so Britton covey already had the mission thing going going for him right <laughs> yeah, yeah his freshman friggin year was 2015 that was the year josh rosen was a freshman that's f- he's now he's funny. now a junior tracy he's not even a senior he's <laughs> no, a junior how many years will he be there total He's going to be there another year next year. He's been a junior for three seasons now because he got hurt two years ago, and so he redshirted. And then it was the COVID year where he was a junior, and now he's a junior again. And then he's going to be a senior next year. The arthritis is going to kick in next year, and he's going to... I I make that joke. I make that joke in my story about age-related disorders. Um, Yes. God, Uh, we're, we're like the same in a lot of ways. Yeah, we're just... We're the same. But it's just it, – it's it's bothering me. Like when I was going through ASU secondary and I'm like, there are three guys in this group who who were high school 2016 recruits and none of them went on a mission. They're just high school 2016 recruits <laughs> who are still starting for ASU. Uh, they're getting their AARP magazine. <laughs> oh, my God. But anyway, uh, yeah, Tiger Campbell. He'll be like 28 years old and still at UCLA. Um so, uh, yeah, so basketball, um, recruiting. You want to talk about recruiting? Yes, let's talk recruiting. Um, Adam Bona, the 6'9", uh, five-star recruit, took his official visit last weekend. All accounts, things went well. We saw him out there in the photo when he was at game day, game day with the Game team. day. Game day. I'm, I'm British. And um, uh, the picture was great. You saw it. Uh, Mick Cronin kind of looking up at him, kind of a curious way of holding a cup of coffee. And was that like a secret subliminal message that, you know, coffee is for closers and that he's verbally committed? It was really funny what everyone was doing that photo. Um, right now, so this is the way uh, I put on the forum yesterday that I wasn't putting a lot of stock in the crystal balls for UCLA. And I know that disturbs some people. Um, crystal balls, crystal balls are kind of a curious thing. And I'm telling you, 
when you get them from Greg Biggins, Brandon Huffman, and Blair Angulo, put it's money in the bank. Um, and I'm not talking down anyone else in our network, but other people have a different criteria for putting in crystal balls. A lot of them are just gut feelings. Um, those three guys I mentioned don't really do gut feeling crystal balls. They they rely on information. Um, so when Adam Bona, uh, the the story is always Kentucky's. <coughs> excuse me, Kentucky's going to get everyone. <coughs> Sorry, Dave. Kentucky is going to get every recruit out there. They just are. He takes an official visit. It doesn't look like coming out. They aren't getting a read. All the Kentucky media isn't getting a read that he's leaning towards Kentucky. So they all go, oh, my God, he must be leaning towards UCLA. That must be the story. <clears throat> so he goes to UCLA, comes out of his visit. Same feeling that he's not leaning towards UCLA, that he's not leaning anywhere. Uh, that's generally where we stand. So I wrote that I think it's 50-50 between UCLA and Kentucky. I think there are people uh, close to or have are in this business of recruiting who feel that he's leaning towards UCLA. But I'm telling you, I think it. this is a savvy kid. He's been all over the world. He's been to many countries. He's experienced a lot of things. He's not... He's not some bumpkin who this is all new to him. He He's good at this stuff. Um, he has not indicated to anyone where he's going. I, I can safely say that. So everyone is just guessing. That's the reason I didn't put a lot of stock in those crystal balls. Um, so, uh, but generally a lot of the feeling still is that he might be slightly, that the people feel that he's leaning to UCLA, but I'm telling you, I think it'd go either way. Um, and then there's Mark Mitchell, uh, the five-star wing from Kansas, who's deciding between UCLA and Duke. Uh, you know, there were leaks about his recruitment. Um, and then since the Duke visit for Midnight Madness, there have not been leaks. Um, there are... Uh, the Duke people are kind of similar to Kentucky people that think everyone's going to Duke and heck, most of the time they're right. Um, they're not saying that now, but I'm not hearing the feeling that he's definitely going to UCLA. Uh, Eric Bossy of 24-7 said on our forum that he believes it's going back and forth. One day he thinks he's going to UCLA, another day he thinks he's going to Kentucky. I've heard that there are there's a split in the people around him. Some want him to go to UCLA. Some want him to go to Kentucky. It, it could really, if he waits until December, which he said he is, it could come down to which way he's leaning at that moment. Um, this is recruiting, people. This is what we're all following. This is what, yeah, um, this is how it is. Recruiting, there have literally been times when I've been told something and I knew it was fact and I typed it out and then uh, left my computer. And by the time I came back, something had happened that was the exact opposite. And I knew it was the exact truth when I typed it. It's just, it literally changed in that hour that I was away. I mean, the recruit changed his mind. Uh, that, this happens. So you always need a grain of salt when it is recruiting. When anyone says it's a done deal, just don't believe them. When it's a lock, you can't believe it. But that's why you're following recruiting because 
it is a roller coaster ride. So uh, I think we're on the roller coaster for at least until Monday without Bona, and you know maybe up to a month with Mark Mitchell. Exciting times. Exciting. Exciting times. They'll be able to watch the beginning of the season. Maybe uh, maybe that'll uh, help them make their decision when UCLA is just rolling through things. Which I have, have you to begun, say. Have you begun working on, your, uh, working on your prediction there, Tracy? I have. I have. But I have to say, if a recruit is waiting to see how... UCLA the, does against, like, Stanislaus yeah, or whatever? It's just, it's just it's kind of it's not really worth anything to really kind of do that but you know everyone has their opinion of what they're basing their decision on i get it especially if you're talking about duke because it's not even a uh, it, it won't even be the coach that you're playing for right so right anyway it is exciting and it is fun to follow but it's very mercurial it can go either way not only by the day by the week but i i personally have experienced it by the hour so there you go. Fun times. Fun times. All right. Well, you got anything else, Tracy? I always have things, Dave, but I want to save some for later. Yeah. Well, I always save some things for later. You're always uh, spent, aren't you, by the end of this? I'm always wiped out by about minute four. <laughs> so you're just faking it the whole time from minute four on. That's brilliant. I'm, I, am, I am faking it at life, man. You know, just, just muddling through, doing, doing the very, very best I can. Which is you're, poor. You're it's faking poor. is so much better than anyone's real stuff. Yeah. Ooh, People love yeah. you, Dave. People love you. They love me. They love me. They they they, yeah. they say more, more, Dave, more, more from you. <laughs> In every part just, of your life. Online, yeah. on podcasts, all of your family and friends are all saying In more, it, Dave, more. In every single way, in every way you can imagine. On your on your uh, grave marker, it's going to say more, Dave, more. Yeah, and that'll be kind of depressing, right? Because I can't provide anymore. That's why I said that because I thought it was kind of fun and and poetic. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Tracy. Okay, Dave. That was fun. Okay, great. You, you well, don't have any more, for, right? You're done. Yeah, I got nothing else. Uh, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we'll talk to you again next time. We'll talk to you later, guys.